Today is July 18th. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Oki, Naganago, Mekoche, Chestakomaki. My name is Red Thunderwoman. My married English name is Michelle Robinson, and I use she and her pronouns. Native Calgarian is being recorded on the lands of the Nitsitapi, which is the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south and the opposed U.S. Canadian border are the Blackfeet, and north of the border are the Siksika, Ganai, and Bogani of the Confederation, or the Confederacy, sorry. Uh, these lands are Treaty 7, signed September 20, signed September 22, 1877, with signatures that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Wesley Chinookee Bearspaw Nations of the Stony Nations, and the Dene of Sutina, some people call Sarsi. I acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit, status and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. All non-Indigenous are treaty partners with the government signing on your behalf. I honour the Blackfoot as the elders and members have been so kind to me in my Red Road journey. Elder Red Crane taught me how to pronounce my spirit name. I was born in Calgary or in Blackfoot, Mokinstis, as Michelle Elliott, an English name which has afforded me privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act and Post status card by the Canadian government says Yellow Knives Dene. My father is so Canadian. I'm a daughter of the Mayflower, a daughter of the American Revolution, while having an Indian Act and Post status card. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Hare people, also called the Great Bear Lake people in Treaty 11. I'm a native to Turtle Island, and my Dene nation is a visitor to this area of Clincho Tene Indahe, meaning many horse town named after the Calgary Stampede. Uh, land acknowledgements are critical for creating a safer space for Indigenous, as well as honoring the host as a guest and acknowledging your role as a treaty partner. My humblest apologies to the Blackfoot elders and language keepers as I try to learn proper pronunciation. Any mistakes or misinterpretations will be on me. I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous, but I share what I know as I walk down my red road. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. Thank you to my previous donors for showing your support. If you value listening or watching and can afford to give, thank you. To those who cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com, where you can send in your comments or your questions. I also have a YouTube channel that you can go subscribe and you can go to Native Calgarian for the latest podcasts. And if you go to, on social media, we're usually the pin posts. So I'm really proud of this um, episode because uh, it's one of those situations literally where you put out your email and someone actually contacts you. And Amber and I have had numerous conversations since and they've been absolutely lovely and wonderful. So I'll let you introduce yourself. Welcome to my show. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Michelle. My name is Amber Ward. Um, I am Cree and German. My mom is from the White Bear Reserve on Treaty 4, and I live here in Treaty 7. My dad is German, but born and raised in Canada, pretty much all over Saskatchewan and uh, Alberta. Right on. Well, I'm glad you're here. So um, thank you. Me too. Yeah. My stepmom is Austrian and I've, um, oh yeah. So I love talking to Germans because they're so closely related, but not like, like close, close. They're like Edmonton to Calgary where it's like, no, we're, <laughs> we don't talk about those people and their ways. Just kidding. It's been the opposite. Yeah, no, I find that right. commonality there where there's competition because they're not the same, but there's so many similarities. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I actually just had a conversation with my dad recently within the last two weeks where he was telling me that uh, we're actually from Austria and the name Haberstock was taken 
during World War II. Oh, wow. Haverstock. Yeah. You know, my yeah. uh, daughter went to Prince of Peace and there was a pastor there named Haverstock. Me too. You went to Prince of Peace? Yeah. No way. So is that your, <laughs> was that your, like your uncle or, or a family member? Or you just no, happened to be a Haverstock? No, there was no relation. Oh, wow. It just happens to be. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I, I, I went to Prince of Peace in the 90s. So, <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know if you know, but they, they're they closing. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah, no, we had a whole campaign to try to save the school. And um, oh, yeah, people, yeah, it, it was a really, it's a really weird situation where they had, um, they had money problems. And as a result, yeah. it went into receivership. So the land itself oh. was owned uh, by this receivership company. And then you know, but it's a, it's a public school. So, yeah. you know, at, at the time the NDP were in charge. So it was like, okay, well, how do we, can we like transfer the school? How does this work? How, and we were looking for options, looking for options. The MLA that was there and is still there, completely useless, but Derek <laughs> Hildebrandt was actually like running against her. So, um, and he, he, you know, libertarian mindset where it's like you know property property and i'm like okay well, what's the solution yeah. so i even tried to work with him and honestly he was he was better at trying to find solutions at saving that school so um yeah they, it was just a weird coincidence and and it was actually a really eye-opening experience for me because i grew up believing in public education and it yeah. was crystal clear to me not everyone involved in that situation did and I was shocked about it. I like I was yeah. really humbled. Um, and yeah. then when I went through the CBE and that experience with my daughter, I, I really I had to like I'm in mourning actually about public education and um, yeah. you know what people's thoughts and ideas are of it. So but my daughter had a really good experience up until grade five, and uh, this is their last year coming up, and then it's done. Kaput. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I didn't know that. Um, yeah. <clears throat> that was my grandma, my grandparents' home church when they were, uh, when they lived in Calgary before they moved. Mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting. So you must have some sort of roots in Saskatchewan. I do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Does that have on both sides? All... Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. No kidding. Well, I'd love to hear more about your story. Yeah. Well, um, I was born in Estevan, and we moved when I was six. Uh, we did a lot of moving. I think I stopped counting moves around 47. Um, so that song, I think it's called No Roots. I mean, it speaks to me on a deep level. <laughs> yeah. um, but I got really good at, I got really good at learning how to pack. I got really good at making places my home, no matter how long we were there. Um, and I learned, I learned a lot of life skills, you know, moving around that much. Um, yeah, it was, my dad was a millwright, so we just kind of went where the work was. Uh, we were in Lethbridge, we were in Calgary most of that time. We even went up to Edmonton for a little bit, <laughs> which I joke around with my friends. I'm like, oh, it's a black stain in my history, but not actually. <laughs> um, uh, I spent a little time in slave, Lester Slave Lake. I was in Three Hills for grade 12 year and then back to Calgary. And I've been in Airdrie the last 10 or 11 years now. Oh, wow. Well, that's beautiful. Be uh, Airdrie is yeah. a beautiful little town. I love it. Um, I, I love it. Yeah. 
we're just relocating to uh, Lethbridge actually. So, and it's yeah. the cutest little town in the planet. Holy. I, I, it is. It's, have you been to this bridge? Yeah, I, I lived there and the bridge was common <laughs> crossing. You know, it, it's so wild to me because I was at the bottom of it looking up and I was like, imagine deciding to put a railway on top of all the skyscrapers of Calgary. That, that's oh, that bridge. No, I haven't seen that one. Yeah, oh, it's it, it's it's actually just it's so incredible. And 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 I was just awestruck by it. Well, I still am when I see the valley. It's a, you know, I'm so brand new. I whenever I see it, it just kind of takes my breath away. So uh, the valley is gorgeous. It It is. And, you know, I don't know what winter conditions are like a lot, but I, I have seen that really cold. Of, yeah, lots of accidents, <laughs> too, between um Lethbridge and Calgary uh, I mean I've watched yeah. the semis like you know video cam of it going from, oh, from yeah. the wind it's incredible yeah so yeah, yeah I'm not looking forward I, to making that trip in the in the winter yeah I actually Lethbridge was probably my least favorite place not in terms of city mm-hmm. but in terms of uh, experiences that I went through when I was there I'd actually because I was because I was Cree or am Cree. Um, my dad had us in, well, I, I was raised Christian. Um, and so until grade seven, we were in private schools. And in grade one, we went to one of the um, Christian schools in Lethbridge. Well, uh, yeah, it was just grade one. And I had a teacher there who didn't like me from the get go. And I mean, every, I know most people have a teacher in their educational history where it was like, oh, but like just didn't match. But in social studies, she was talking about the Indian Act in grade one and talking about how if an indigenous, well, well she said Indian woman. So I'm going to use the terms that she used. <laughs> she said, when an Indian woman marries a white man, uh, she loses her status and she no longer has the right to call herself Indian. And I said, well, no, my mom is Cree, which means we're Cree. And she married a white man and like, we're still Cree. And she said, no, you're not. And I said, um, yes, I'm Cree and my sister's Cree and we're Cree. And she's like, no, you're not. Your mom gave up her right to call herself an Indian, therefore giving up your right to call yourself an Indian when she married your dad. You know, and I tell and, people, because I've heard this shit like my entire life, and yeah. I fucking tell people, at what point in time do we tell new immigrants you can never identify as Irish again, and especially on St. Patrick's Day, you, you know, like, and, and the way they yeah. speak down to you, like it's so painfully racist right? So painfully racist. And I want to highlight this again as an example of not just how society and media are absolute assholes to Indigenous people in Canada, but here's your fucking public teacher, your teacher saying this to you and how many other natives in the room you were proud enough to identify. There's lots of us who were not and watched that and knew don't identify in this place as native. Sorry, please continue. Yeah, well, it's funny you say that because I talked to a friend of mine. Her name was Jolene, and she was uh, she was Blackfoot. And 
I said to her, I'm like, like after, I'm like, why didn't you see anything? Like, why'd you let me say that by myself? Like, I'm only half, you're full Blackfoot. Grade one, she said, F you, don't ever effing talk about it again. In grade one. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, and that was the most bizarre experience. First of all, as a young Christian like, girl in grade one who, ne- who had never heard that, I just knew that it was hurtful. Yeah. Um, and my sister, my, my parents had kept me back here. We're, we're only 15 months apart. So we were in the same grade together. And she had said to me, she was, she was like, well, I was going to say something, but you were handling it. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Um, but from that point forward, she was atrocious to me. Um, I was left-handed. And when I wrote with my left hand, she would hit my hand with a ruler and she forced me to write with my right hand. Um, and she would say to me, uh, writing with your left hand is for uh, savages and I will not have a savage in my classroom. And then she would keep me in at recess. Can, I, can we just yep. pause that for a moment? Absolutely. I absolutely <laughs> want to highlight that to all of the non-natives listening to this. How Please shitty don't use that word. <laughs> your people are to our people. Yep. Like, what a great example. And, and we were taught to respect teachers that they are in a position of authority. Yep. And here, you know, like, I know uh, Indian residential schools are not comparable in any capacity, but the truth is we've been institutionalized to be treated like savages. And I mean, this, this, this is now, this is the so-called public education. Like, and I tell people, because yeah. I, I'll say to people, you're either um, treated poorly as a native person or you're taught to treat natives poorly. And what people don't understand is that your white little kids who are perfect fucking angels are hearing mm-hmm. and watching this teacher abuse indigenous people, normalize it. And this is how the public school education teaches racism against indigenous people to all of the beautiful, perfect little white kids who don't do yeah. anything wrong. You're, they're being taught white supremacy. This is what I'm talking yeah. about. So I just, I have to amplify it because I, I'm really sad to say yeah. this, Amber. I don't know why you have to spoon feed like these Canadian so much but you do and then yeah. for the for the natives like for us or for our children they're being taught they're inferior and that's absolutely mm-hmm. unacceptable unacceptable behavior yeah. like this is not safe spaces like you want to talk about anti-racism and indigenous education called the action 57 like our children are still being abused yeah. in this stupid system yeah it's it's horrible yeah um so she would keep me in at recess and make me practice my handwriting with my right hand. Um, and while she did, she would teach me about residential schools during recess. Um, when I would get out to recess, she started making me wash my hands until they were clean, but I was never clean ever. One day I washed my hands till they were raw. And my mom was like, what happened? And I told her and I said, she made me keep washing my hands. She said I was dirty, but they were clean. Like I checked, they're clean. And my mom was going through her own things. Her brother actually had been murdered that same year that we were there. So like 
she she was not in a good place herself and uh like and it just it kept going I wasn't allowed to look at the pictures or the books when she was reading during circle time um I was she made me look at her feet and I remember sitting there thinking that she had the nastiest toe hair that would curl through her nylons (laughs) and I just I had to find humor in it and that is the one of the earliest memories I have of finding humor to cope with something awful. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I still use that very much today. And, um, but yeah, no, it was, it was awful. And I started asking, like, I started asking questions. I asked my dad, well, I asked both my parents. I said, like, like we're Cree. What does that mean? And, and my dad had said, like, you know, be very proud of your your Cree history, your ancestry, like be very proud of that. Like it's a beautiful thing, but because we're Christian, the spiritual beliefs don't align. And so like, we can't, we're not going to encourage that. This is a example of, you know, what was said versus what was heard. And what I heard was we're Christian. So we, that is evil, right? Like that's bad. And so I'm hearing, I'm going through this at school. I'm hearing from my dad that this part of me is bad. Like it's beautiful, but it's bad. And then I'm thinking like, well, the other half of me is German. If we're upholding people accountable for history, like where's the good in me? <laughs> like, yeah, like yeah. you know, and so I really started, that's when I started internalizing a lot of things. Like I was so incredibly proud. And that year did some long-term damage internally and and it was it's a part of my story it's a part of my journey and I mean I'm not glad that I went through it but I am glad that I'm able to share it and let other people know that they aren't alone in what they've gone through oh and that's Um, exactly why I'm so happy you're on the show because I think like we have to heal as people and um and we need to hear people talk uh, through a, a different medium and we've been silenced for so long I know people yeah. are going to relate to what you just said I know it yeah well I uh when the 215 the 215 children were found it I mean I've, it's something I've been working on probably the last few years more specifically the last year and then in the last couple months very intentionally um but I had wondered what had happened to this teacher um, because I, I had always said the way that she treated me, the way that she set the environment for it to be not okay, not, not even not okay. It was unsafe to identify as indigenous and let me show you why. And here's what I'm going to do if you do. Yeah. Um, I had said, like 1996, 1997 was when that last residential school closed. And I said, based on how she treated me and knowing that it was a faith-based school, I had said, I would not be surprised if she had taught in those schools on the interactions that she had had with me and the environment that she created. And there was, there was no holding back. There was no holding punches on what she was saying. Like there was no consequences for her. Um, I remember going out for recess and literally keeping my hands in my jacket pocket the whole time. So I didn't have to wash them so that they weren't dirty. 
and I still had to wash them. Like it didn't matter what I did. She was making me the example. Yeah. You know, and uh, I just want to illustrate people. One of the things that bugs me is when people say, oh, I'm white passing. I always say, were you white passing enough to not be discriminated against? And, you know, were you white passing enough that a teacher would make you wash your hands until they're raw because of this, you know, and, and that's, people know when they can bully and discriminate and they do. And it's adults that do it. And unfortunately, when they're in positions of power, right. I, I, uh, and, and they know it, they know they're in a position of power and, and they, they abuse it. And, you know, I talk to people about that, whether it's police, whether it's teachers, nurses, doctors, and, you know, so many people just sidebar it. And it's like, well, at what point in time is there a level of accountability for anybody who misbehaves like this? Their their job is to, you know, so-called put us in line, but then there's no, no accountability and consequence at all for their misbehavior. And in fact, um, she's a non-native and she works for the uh, BC Civil Liberties. And she just recently got, uh, you know, let go from for saying burn it all down when you know like we're talking about decolonization yeah and they took it as well they're lawyers and it's just another example of a another profession that needs complete reform you know indigenous education anti-racism training but she's she's a brown woman so it was easy to dismiss her too and and that's the white supremacy that canadians i don't know how they like pretend like it's oh I, I just don't see it I, it's so obvious so either you're lying to me you know you're trying to gaslight me like what's yeah. your deal so yeah. yeah I know I've had lots of conversations with various people um in the last few months a lot of them where people are like well like I'm not racist like I didn't do these things and I said right but you benefit from the systems that were put into place that are affecting you and me now. <laughs> like, right? like, yeah, you're right. They're like, well, what can I do about that? I'm like, learn who your politicians are, yeah. learn who your MLAs are, figure out what their platforms are, which ones align with the values that you believe in, which yeah. ones don't align. <laughs> like, right. like there are things you can do. And I had one friend just straight up say like, no, like I'm, I have not benefited. So I took a fairly decent amount of time to talk about education. They have a son who is in university. They have a daughter who is graduating or just graduated. And we talked about how, because of the education systems that are put into place on the reserves and the lack of opportunity, how long-term that actually benefits him and his family because there's less competition right? Like we don't get all this money to go to school. We don't get all this money like on reserve for, for education. Like we don't finding teachers to stay is hard. Finding equipment is hard. Like having the plethora of choices of classes is a challenge because it's, you just can't get the things and the people in there properly. Like no, because it, they, it's underfunded. So like, exactly. I, I know a lot of white teachers that will go to reserve and be awful human beings to our yeah. children but Horrible. they get the experience that they need in order to go into the white system which pays yeah. more and I, th- yeah. I tell people like what what makes you think we have an advantage when 
you know, our infrastructure is underfunded, the schools are underfunded, the supplies for the schools are underfunded, the teachers for the schools are underfunded. This is systemic poverty that's imposed by the government. Yeah. And you're all benefiting from that, whereas our yeah. children are suffering. Yeah. Yeah. And he was like, well, if it was important, like, would they get to school? I'm like, do you have any concept of how large these spaces are? Have you seen the roads? Have you experienced weather in these spaces? Like I said, I, I mean, I have never, I haven't lived there, but in the job that I do, I've had to go there and do supportive visits and do transportations. And I said, let me tell you, life got easier when I got an SUV because going there on in a civic in the winter was scary. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, like, they're having even just exactly that the infrastructure, weather, um, and then, and then the things that they're having to deal with on an internal level. Mm-hmm. I mean, depending on where they're at in the intergenerational experiences of residential school, 60 scoop, things like that, like yes. school is going to be triggering whether yeah. they know it's safe or not for their children. I wouldn't want to take my children to school if that had been my experience like yeah or you know how, how is that word even triggering on a daily basis when you have school-aged kids like and so I'm not sure we actually like got eye to eye but he did pause and like take into consideration some of the some of the conversation which I appreciate it's it's yeah. a step um, and you he was know- willing to have the conversation so well, and that while that's good, um, I know for myself, like I've had to lifelong friendships are are gone when yeah. you're talking about the indigenous issue because at a certain point, like you know, your commonalities of growing up together can't outweigh racists, really. Absolutely, when it comes down to it, and yeah. so it, it's hard because I think that us maintaining friendships are very difficult, and then you know. Lateral violence is such a difficult thing to explain to, especially non-natives where, yes, you know, like there are so many toxic people that are native that I can't even be friends with on Facebook. But at the, yeah. when push comes to shove, I could easily stand arm in arm when, you know, on a line full of cops or settlers that are saying, you know, build that pipe. I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I'm sorry, but you don't understand sovereignty and you yeah. know, we may be broken people, but it, well, not, I, I don't like saying that we might be, some of us might be on different parts of our healing journey. Yeah. Some of us, uh, you know, are, are incredibly, um, you know, unsure on some of these subjects, but Jesus, in the end, we're all indigenous people that are being yeah. racially targeted and we stand yeah. in solidarity and, and yeah, us being together like that's the I hate the term resiliency so we shouldn't have to be so strong <laughs> yeah. we're, we're undergoing genocide and the rest of us that haven't been killed yet we still we stand together so yeah. you know it's and statistically through the Indian Act is uh, you know we're going to lose our status so we have to start teaching those who are non-status to strongly identify as Indigenous, regardless of a stupid Canadian issued card, because um, yeah. otherwise we'll, we'll be extinct. And 
by their standards. Um, by their band, standards, yeah. Yeah, my band has actually already been uh, labeled as extinct and then reissued as, oh no, they still exist because of some Iowa. Just kidding. Anthrop- <laughs> right? Iowa anthropologists came in one day and was like, oh, they're extinct. And it's like, have you looked around and seen all of these brown people with black hair? No, no, you don't, <laughs> don't see them? Yep. Like, holy. So those are just yeah. the examples of the barriers that we face that uh, these people who I don't benefit from white supremacy or the Indian Act, like they just can't see it. Um, you know how yeah. many like seventh generation farmers have like been like, well, I didn't benefit. And it's like, I think when the RCMP cleared our people onto little parcels of land called reserves, your people fucking mm-hmm. benefited. So kiss my ass. Yeah. I don't care what your mortgage is. You know, like totally. if I went over to Britain and just cleared all the white people and put them in little jails and then just said, well, I paid a mortgage on this land, therefore it must be mine. Like, how would yeah. they feel? Right. So yeah. I, in my head, I always make up a story that I'm going to go to Britain one day and, and erase everything <laughs> and call it Michelle land. And just, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, yeah, so um, what are some other parts of your journey that you'd like to share with us today? Um, So I've been thinking about that kind of over the week since we had the conversation, and I think that, I think that there have been a lot of, a lot of different things have happened, um, like throughout my life that have, you know, not solidified, but reinforced what I experienced that year in grade one. Um, I've had friends walk away from me, literally stop the conversation, turn and walk away and never talk to me again once they found out that I was Cree. Um, And (laughs) because they were making racist jokes about how their parents found engines in their backyard drinking Lysol and I'm like what nope (laughs) like you know that I'm Cree right and she literally stopped turned walked never talked to me again I'm like okay (laughs) bye-bye like yeah you can go um but there are things so as I mentioned like I do supervised visits and transportations but more recently I've been doing youth work and I I absolutely love what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, and I've done youth work at a couple different agencies locally here in Calgary. Um, there was one experience that that I did want to share because I think it highlights several things. So there was a brand new First Nations Housing First youth program being launched within this agency mm-hmm. and they were looking for a coordinator a team lead yeah so I had I had applied I had done a lot of work within the team that I was currently on at that time um, I had trained up this the new staff coming on I'd even helped train the uh, coordinator who was switching from one program to another um, I love that work I love training people and like let's get you set. Right. And then like release you. (laughs) Um, but I thought, you know, I had the experience to apply for this position. So I did. And they called me in after 
after the interview to just let me know that I hadn't got the job. And it was my manager and my at the time coordinator. And she said to me, she's like, Amber, like you are so good at what you do. And you're so amazing with the youth. And you just have this like very natural, authentic way about you and the youth respect that and pick up on that. And I think that's really important. Um, and I can definitely see like the work that you've done has been instrumental um, building the team of other youth workers to be where it is. But I just, I don't think that you're a fit for this position. And I was like, well, okay. Like everything you just said was really good. So like, yeah. why not? And she's like, well, like it's an indigenous program and like, you're just not native enough. And I was like, what? And she's like, yeah, like we want people to be able, we want the youth to be able to like connect and identify with the person that's leading the program, you know, and, and you're not like, we think that they would have a hard time connecting with you. And I just, I just like shut my mouth because I have a strong belief in that what comes out of my mouth will bring life or death. And I can never get back the words that come out of them. Yep. So the words that come out are very intentional, especially yeah. when there's high emotions. Yeah. So I left, I ranted and raved for about a week, maybe to everybody and like processed. I'm like, why is this? Like, I know this was awful, but like, why? Yeah. Like there are so many levels here. So I eventually called a meeting and I had my manager come back in and I brought my coordinator and I said, listen, the reason that I called this meeting is because you told me that I was not native enough for this position. And they said, yeah. And I said, I know I have blue eyes, fairly light skin. You know, I don't wear, I don't wear mukluks or ribbon skirts or topaz, like I don't know what you mean by not native enough. I mean, like you don't get much more native than me, like in terms of like, 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 I don't even know what you're looking for. Quantums. Like, <laughs> so I said, here's the thing by you telling me that I'm not native enough, you are perpetuating a narrative that I've heard my whole life, whether that's been externally or internally and the internally stuff started by ex external comments and things that were said. And I said to her, my grandparents were survivors of the residential school, yeah. as were my aunts and uncles. Like my mom is the oldest of 16. And as, at that point, I said, there are only a couple of them left. And I don't have a connection to that. But I don't have a connection to that because my mom is a survivor of the 60s scoop. Mm -hmm. thankfully she was adopted by a wonderful loving family don't get me wrong there were you know it wasn't perfect but it was much much better than other people's stories that I know and and she loved them and they loved her and they were my grandparents but you telling me that I'm not native enough is amplifying that my grandparents and my family went to residential schools, that the government decided to take my mom from her home and her family, her community, her culture. Yep. She was placed into a family who had Christian beliefs 
down the road who loved her, but were so scared because they had been told they had tried to adopt her and her two immediately younger brothers. They had been told that if they pushed to try to adopt all three, that they would take my mom too. And so they backed off, they adopted my mom and they had to let her brothers go. They, they were a good family. Um, then my mom married a white Christian man who, you know, came with his own things, who perpetuated, be proud of being Cree, but we're not actually going to engage in that. Yeah. And because my mom hadn't grown up with it, because she had grown up afraid of what would happen if she went back to, to white bear, yeah. um, terrified of what would happen because of her own experiences, that was not a safe conversation for us to have. So not only did this affect my family, but because of that, I have no connection Mm -hmm. to this community culture, my family at all. And I have tried, I have tried, but I said, my, my aunts and uncles are gone. I have one left. I have no grandparents to speak of. They, they're all gone because of the trauma and the horror that they experienced. Not one of them died a natural death. So you telling me I'm not native enough to run this program is perpetuating that entire narrative. And it is disgusting. And you will never get to tell me how native I am or if I'm native enough. Yeah. And they just sat there and they were like in tears and like I cried through the whole thing. I was so angry. Yeah. And she did the thing that we know people Wait, for who are racist do. The oh well, I'm not racist. My son is half black. I would never say anything to like do that. And I'm so sorry that what I said hurt you and like did the whole thing. And I just I looked at her and I said, no. Yeah. You said what you said. Yeah. Like, and that, and that was that. And then she didn't, she had a tendency that manager to pick on one or two people until either she wrote them up enough for bogus things and they got fired or until they quit. Yeah. Um, This just amplified that. I was definitely the target until I left, (laughs) which was horrible. Yeah. Um, But like that's in that, that was like five years ago, maybe six, like that is now. Yeah. And she's still working. She's oh, still a registered social worker. She, in a position of power. Yep. In a position of power. Yep. Like the things that I know happened under her supervision. Yeah. Like it wasn't just my experience. Um, and it was just, it was awful. Oh, there were I'm so many so things that I saw. Yeah. yeah, no, I, yeah. I get that a lot too. And I always tell people, well, I'm, I'm native enough for, you know, this to have happened to my family, this to happen to my family, this to happen to yep. my family. And, you know, I hope that someone a little lost native that is listening to this right now knows that you're native enough. Uh, yep. You're good enough. And because white people have so many stereotypes in their head about how we're supposed to perform what we're supposed to know you know how many people have asked me do you know your language and are offended I don't know 
And I'm like, right? offended that you don't fucking understand the gravity of Indian residential schools and yep. don't understand the barriers. And I tell people, I'm like, okay, let's pretend you're, um, you know, I'm from, from uh, Pakistan and you're the first generation that's here and you don't know your language and you're in your forties and you're expected to know now. So I, I need you to take a year off of work. I need you to, uh, you know, learn your language and you need to be able to perform at my, um, you know, uh, happiness of your yes. language. And, uh, and, and of course that doesn't make any fucking sense, but yet that's what's perpetuated on us by Canadians, whether they're white, whether yeah. they're newcomers, whatever. And then, yeah. uh, you know, and, and it really becomes, um, I had a, a conversation with a friend of mine and, um, yeah, I was really annoyed with not just him, but there was like a whole group of people who were like, oh my God, yeah. I still want to learn how to smudge. You know, I do all this work for the community and I want to be able to come go to a ceremony and smudge. And I'm like, fuck you. Fuck yeah. you. You do not get the right to do that. You know, we're undergoing yeah. genocide. We're undergoing all of these things. And you're like, oh my God, I'm still going to put my effort towards that. And so we were talking about it later and he says, well, I, uh, you know, I was thinking about some of the things that you said, and, and I guess it makes sense that, uh, you know, if I shop around enough, I'm going to get the answer that I want. And I said, but, and that's the problem is that yeah. you and I don't uh, dance and perform. I say uh, dance monkey dance, literally meaning that then all of a yeah. sudden they'll go find that native that will dance the way they want them to. Yeah. And, and I said, and that's what's wrong. That's racist. <laughs> and that's what's yeah. happening over and over. And like our, our um, staff who, you know, have a degree, like our indigenous staff who have a degree, they just bounce from one organization to another. Um, it, it, like there, there's just a small group of maybe, you know, 20, 50 people that just bounce from one organization to another because it's, it's that, you know, uh, woman of color in a workplace scenario where yep. eventually you just don't gel with the one person in power and, you know, you have a choice. You can go to a shitty job that you hate, that they don't want you there, or you can find yep. another job where they let you go and suddenly the money runs out for the grant. So, yep. you know, it, it's just, it's such a disgusting, sick part of our society. And I tell people like, it's not enough we were born in socioeconomic levels that are below, you know, first world standards, but then it's yeah. perpetuated in our adult life. So that's why I tell, yeah. like, I, I used to give so much free information. And at a certain point, it's like, this doesn't matter to you. I have given yeah. this free information to you. You've never retained it. I literally copy and paste the same thing every, you know, three months to you. You won't read it. But the moment mm -hmm. I say there's a hundred dollar charge, it's the moment they go, oh, well, this information's of importance. It's like, yeah, damn, you're right. It is important. Yeah. And I'm tired of our people being underserved and underpaid yeah. for the knowledge that they bring. Because I guarantee you, whoever got that job didn't get a pay increase for being the native they want. Uh, Probably know, not. <laughs> right. So, yeah. And that's part of it, too. So I, I really appreciate you sharing that. And I hope that you know, whether non-native or native, like they heard something here that helps them see it's not them, you know, they're, they're enough. It's these organizations are racist and they perpetuate racism within their organization. And the irony is that they're supposed to be healing. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's, it is a, it is something that I have been struggling with probably like for a little while now, it's, 
Like I know that I'm one of the good ones within a very broken system, but I'm still within that system. And I'm like, what good am I doing as a, as one of the good ones? Like, I mean, I know I make a difference to those individuals and I, I am so happy and honored to be a part of their story, whether a small part or a bigger part, I am just honored to be a part of it. But what am I doing? Well, <laughs> like, the burnout is real. Like that's the systemic issues, right? So that, you know, a great person like yourself can be in these positions, but you know, at the end of the day, the system is broken and yeah. this, the people in power are racist, even if they think that they are, you know, well-meaning progressives that are not racist, that would cry yeah. on the spot being called racist. But, um, yeah. you know, it, white saviorism, especially in that um, industry is such a um, prevalent issue. And uh, oh, you yeah. and I, who have had so much Christian influence in our lives, you know, um, I've had to unpack that too. Um, Me too. You know, so I'm not <laughs> acting like some white savior, you know, learning yep. to just, just be authentic, just be authentically yep. me, be honest, sometimes brutally honest to, uh, you know, fragile people, but that, you know, we have to speak our truth and we have to tell our yep. truth and we can dance around it, but then that's not going to solve anything. So we need to be yep. authentically honest to help uh, the next generation, you know, really own who they are because a yep. lot of them are. Uh, in, in a way that I can't even, you know, articulate, um, I'll give you an example. I, I like to say LGBTQ2 plus that's my, that's how I've just learned to say it. And the, the young two spirit, they go, why don't you say two spirit first? And I'm like, why don't I say two spirit first? <laughs> so I'm starting to see yeah. that language done more, LGBTQ, yeah. which makes me really happy. Um, you know, and, yeah. and, and they own it. And I'm so yeah. honored to witness that and to be schooled by them frankly yeah so, yeah they're they're great and um you know and I want that for the next generations uh you know there's some some young youth that are like you know you guys are gatekeepers I'm like no man come to the event do it do what you want to do and whatever the event yeah. is because I think that they have more um power than they know uh, but I guess yeah. in a lot of ways they do know too and I I encourage that so much because I think that's what's going to heal us is hearing uh, the the elders love hearing the youth i'll give you an example we went to the canada day um event out at six ago and mm -hmm. uh by chance um that uh chief delorum from cowlessness nation he yeah he was there <laughs> because his sister is like lisa big snake or something so i'm like okay cool so he was there he wasn't meant to speak but we were doing all these ceremonies to honor the the babies that were at uh, both of the schools and yeah. um our our elder she was just kept going on all day about how good looking he is how well spoken he is <laughs> and he, you could just tell she was absolutely floored by him and i and yeah and that's healing watching that like seeing these different generations yeah. be able to really heal and, and and well and the other thing is too is like you have indian residential school survivors telling their stories and those of us who didn't go through it like i i just yeah. get so angry and they're so kind yeah. and loving and it's like you know so we have to heal beautiful humans <laughs> yeah i'm like how are you here i just want to burn the whole system down and i mean yeah. that figuratively lawyers in bc um <laughs> <laughs> Yep. <laughs> yeah. 
so uh, anyway, just really, really honored. And, and it's a blessing to hear not just your journey, but to witness the healing intergenerationally from the different, uh, you know, where we're at. And, and my hope is, is yeah. that our youth really own who they are um, as they move forward through this. I, I'm 44, so I don't know where I fit anymore. It's like I'm watching the elders, but I'm watching the youth and they, they yeah. do, you know, they're, they're coming together and, and it makes me really happy. So yeah, yeah. I think well, go ahead. one thing that I have been probably since that interaction with that manager had happened, I have been a lot more intentional about finding my voice and using it. Um, Cause the last time I remember finding it and using it that firmly was in grade one, standing up to my teacher and yeah. And I was like, okay, that felt, that felt not good. That felt right. Yeah. And there is a difference between saying something because it feels good and saying something because it's right. Yes. And I have since then had many opportunities because apparently when you open your eyes to stuff, you start seeing a whole lot of shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so I've had many opportunities to share and to encourage the youth that I work with to find their voices. And if they're not in a place to do that, to be an example of it. I took a young lady to a fast food place during COVID. So there's only a couple tables open. We got, she got a meal. I got some ice cream. It was glorious. We we're coloring and drawing. No big deal. Um, and two people came in right behind us and two people behind them. And we all pretty much sat down within two minutes of each other. We'd been there maybe 40 minutes and someone came over and asked us to leave. And I said, well, well, we're still eating and like, we're just drawing, like why? Oh, well, there's other people that want to sit and eat. And I said, oh, well, why aren't you asking them to leave? Well, you've been here a really long time. I'm like, no, we sat down at the same time as those other two tables. and long story short, we didn't leave. <laughs> yep. And then when we were ready to leave, we went to the car and I said to her, I said, I am going back in and I am going to talk to the manager. I said, because what that, what just happened was wrong. And she said, well, why? Like, what do you mean? And I said, I know that I'm very white passing, but I also know when people are racist, they know, they know. And I said, you are very obviously an indigenous youth. We were singled out because of this. And it was disgustingly obvious. And I said, and it is important that we as indigenous women and youth find our voice and stand up to things like this yeah. because if they think they can do it to us they will continue to do it to others and we are in Strathmore and so that opportunity is plenty so I said it's not okay no I said you are welcome to come with me or you're welcome to stay in the car I'm not gonna I'm not gonna force you to do something you're uncomfortable with or be a part of but I have to yeah. go in and address this yeah. and she said okay and she said well, if, can you tell me what you said when you come back? And I said, yes. And so 
I went in and I talked to the, the manager and she did the same thing. Oh, well, we're not, I'm not racist. Like I bring this person in and they do this. And like, we're a big supporters of this. And I'm like, that does not make you not racist. Yeah. Your actions here yeah. did that. Yeah. And if you felt so comfortable to do that or to send one of your staff to do it yeah. with a full restaurant, with all your staff around, this is not a one-time incident. No. And she was just like floored. Good for you. Good for you. Yeah. And but again, it's just like that setting in the school system. This is the society telling yeah. all of the white people that we feel very comfortable telling the natives to get the fuck out of our restaurant, even though they paid to be there. And oh, yeah. um, you know, I, I actually had a friend of mine, I'm hoping he'll come on the podcast, and he told the story of being in Boston Pizza, paying for his food, paying for um a, a friend to have a drink with him, the cops coming and kicking them out because the manager called the cops on them. They weren't belligerent, they weren't nothing. Yeah. And um, he was schooling the cop about how wrong that whole situation was. But, yeah. You know, at the end of the day, if the teachers are abusing you in the school, you know, the McDonald's or whatever small fast food is comfortable being a jerk to you and you only. Yeah. And this is an example, you are native enough to be singled out like that. You know, like Absolutely. This is what we're being taught as natives and people who managers think not and agencies. Exactly. Yep. Like it, it's so systemic and so pervasive. And yet, you know, your average Canadian's like, we're not racist. And it's like, oh, yep. buddy, you need to sit the fuck down and listen to us then. Because <laughs> oh, yeah. why is it I can bring you on? Why is it I can bring other people on? And we hear the same issues happen over and over yep. again. You know, at a certain point in time, you have to admit how racist, and especially in Strathmore, I mean, I'm really like, I, I get really upset when I think about, um, I'm from Abbeydale in, in Calgary, yeah. and that's where Colton Crowshoe was killed. And, um, you know, just hearing that uh, person, a young man, the way he was, you know, yeah. um, hunted down and gunned down by those two brothers. I, I, I can't understand, you know, how many Indigenous women, women have been murdered by District 4 Calgary police, and yeah. there's no consequences. Um, it, it, and now I'm in Lethbridge where, you know, they, they even, <laughs> like, they're, they're so bad here that they're under yeah. investigation in so many different ways. So I'm just, I, I don't know at what point in time Canadians are going to wake up to this issue. And then with the whole, um, you know, missing children and unmarked burial sites, like, I've been doing the TRC through the Calgary Public Library for over five years now. We've been yeah. talking about this issue. Yeah. And it just the feeling of being gaslit, like, I don't know how our elders put up with being disregarded yeah. and dismissed all of these years, because it's so obvious and so painful. And I hate it so much. And I hate that yeah. they've been going through this because we've been going through it. So I know they got yeah. it worse than we did. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. So anyway, yeah. yeah. Is, there, is there other parts of your story that you want to share today? Um, I have uh, I can't believe how quick time goes sometimes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, also, I can have you come back on our show, too, if you if you want to I ever would, come back on. So I would love that. I would That'd love be that. Great. Um, I think I think we, when we had talked, you had said, I hope you remember to talk about it. Yeah, so I wanted to just bring it up really quick. Um, 
So I know we've talked about like education, not-for-profits, even just the social sector of like fast food or restaurants and things like that. But one area that I know that it is rampant is healthcare. Um, I, I'm 35 years old. Um, I have had a chronic issue with my monthly cycle and all the fun things that come along with that. And I've had to be on, um, synthetic hormones since I was 12, I think. Mm. Um, well, it turns out I have what's called, um, I think it is synthetic hormone resistance or synthetic hormone intolerance. That's the word. Mm. Um, which means my body does not tolerate synthetic hormones. So my family doctor had sent me to a gynecologist to talk about like the different options of an IUD because it's not as all the hormones at once, right? Like it's not daily. It's just kind of there slowly and the possibility of that being a better option. Mm. So I had gone in and um, got a little bit of a history from me and he, he went over to his computer. He took a couple seconds, looked and turned back to me and said, well, I think, um, a hysterectomy is probably your best option. And I was like, what? And he said, yeah, no, I, I think a hysterectomy is your best option. Like then we're, you know, you don't have to deal with the synthetic hormones anymore. We, you know, with an IUD, you'd have to come back in in like five years and get it done again. And, um, and I'm like, Oh, okay. Like, but if it works, it works, right? Like if I get a hysterectomy, like that's it. I'm only, I think it was like 20, 27, 28. Um, he said like, like, what if I want more kids? He's like, well, well, I mean, do you? And I said, well, not at the moment, but I'd like it to at least be an option. And, and he's like, well, I mean, you know, why don't you take some time and think about it? And I didn't, really put it together until I was actually talking to a friend of mine who also works in the social services sector, who's white, but very aware. Mm. And she, she was quiet for a couple seconds. And I said, I don't understand. Like I have a friend who has been trying to get her tubes tied for years and is older than I am. And they refused to. And she said, Amber, is she white? And I said, yeah. And she said, yeah, you were offered a full hysterectomy at 27 because you're first nations. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, and the truth of it was like a gut punch. Like it physically hurt when she said it, because it just, I I knew that that's what it was. Cause it didn't make sense that he went to the computer and just scrolled for a second and like came back. And then that was his, that was his conclusion is that was the best option. Um, it's, it's really, really awful um, that that was, oh, you're, you're indigenous. So here, like, and just, that's you now. don't need more kids. And that's now. Yeah. No. Like, and you know, and the Peter Lockheed hospital must be proud as a punch that they ruined my life so much that I didn't oh, yeah. want to have more kids because I, um, you know, I, that that's the act of genocide by that Karen Stone, yeah. like that book. And I, I just am, I'm mad at myself that I didn't have more kids just out of spite, but I mean, obviously, (laughs) you know, you're, you know, what's healthy. I know it's healthy. And obviously it was not a healthy time for me to ever consider having kids again after what I went through with their uh, racism. And I later found out at, you know, the death hospital, a lot of uh, new immigrants and natives call it. So, um, 
you know, it's that picture of our healthcare is so broken. And, you know, I've been trying to, uh, on the download, talk to uh, Corey Ashley about what happened with Lillian and he was on the show and he's working on a petition. Yeah. Now that we have a stupid federal election on the, around the corner, you know, Ugh. we have yep. to wait till after the election to, you know, submit the petition and do some work on yeah. that because it's just, I hate this colonial system so much, but at the end of the Me day, too. Like, why do we have to have the Jordan's principle and all of this? It's yeah. Inherently the entire system is racist. Yeah. Not just one part. No, it's all the parts. Like, all of it. And I mean, and that's that was a private OBGYN office. I've seen paramedics come in dealing with one of my youth who are clearly dealing with an overdose and being passive about it. And I said to them, I said, I don't care if you've seen one thousand people just like this today. This is my one person and you will treat her with respect and you will treat her properly. I want you to redo all her vitals and I want your names. Yes. And they were like, what? And I'm like, what you just did is not an acceptable level of care. Yes. And they were just like, whoa. (laughs) I'm like, I like do, I'm not kidding. You're not leaving until this happens. And if you don't, I will call back and have them dispatch other people. Yeah. And, and they did but it it's everywhere. And I want, I think a big part of why there seems to be a bit of a fire under my butt lately is that, I mean, I'm, I'm 35. I am very white passing. And yet, like we've discussed, (laughs) right. Right. And, but it was hard because I wasn't I always felt that I didn't go through the horrible things that my grandparents went through, even my aunts and my uncles who I didn't even get to meet. I hadn't got the badge of honor to actually engage in my culture, my community. And so I was Cree, but that was about as far as it went. And it wasn't until I really started, really, honestly, until that manager said what she said, and I was able to rephrase of like, even for myself, like, wait a second, I'm not native enough because it was taken from me. It was never yes. given to me as an option. Yes. Like, and then all of a sudden, like, so as horrible as that situation was, yeah. I am so grateful for it and what it did to me internally, because it made me find my voice. It made me dig into why am I so angry? Cause that's not a go-to emotion for me, yeah. but I was like, righteously angry <laughs> yeah but and, it is righteous anger like it, it's something yeah. that I think it's its own teaching that's important for people to hear and it was actually the strong indigenous women like Facebook page that said that where it's like your anger is the teaching and it's like yes because yeah. like as black women have done so much good teaching in this area that I share their information yeah. about racial battle fatigue uh, that was done by black professors I called them and asked them is it okay for me to yeah. use this terminology and he's like as a Native American hell yeah it is because we understand <laughs> right like yeah there, there's that there's that com- camaraderie of understanding racism in the white supremacist world so um yeah and I, I'm really grateful you shared that because uh, I can I mean I had Corey Ashley on my show to talk about about the racism that his wife endured um that was a hard episode it's a hard fuck like 
I'm yeah. so angry at the system that it just continually gets away with killing our people. And no, yeah. like nobody's holding them to account. All of these white politicians yeah. just try to avoid us so that they can just get reelected and not talk about it. Yeah, it's uncomfortable for them. Yeah. <laughs> imagine what it's like being us (laughs) right yeah and then and then that's what upsets me when people say well I don't understand why I have to live with the ground with my grandparents sins and it's like well because they perpetuate today you know Indian residential school is our society you know where we don't belong here they want us on reserve they don't want us here they don't they want to um you know blame uh, us for our problems instead of every systematic in every conceivable barrier that the system has designed yeah. that perpetuates today they don't want to dismantle it because they, they inherently yeah. know if they were to do that then things would change you know if we have 50 yeah. percent of the governance system four percent of the population having 50 percent say in every governance system like the way it was intended yeah. through treaty that would yeah. change everything. And I said, and to be fair, we should actually have full control for the next 150 years to even go. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. they love that We're one. just going to fix it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah, anyway, anyway, I'm really grateful to have you on the show. Share all of these things. And I welcome you back anytime that you feel comfortable talking about whatever it is you, you want to talk about. And especially if we have something to celebrate, too. I think it's really important mm-hmm. to break down systemic racism the way we did today. And I also want to celebrate yeah. all of the wonderful accomplishments our people um, achieve because uh, because it's tenfold. The, the, the barriers yeah. we had to overcome in order to achieve is tenfold what folks who don't have all those barriers yeah. in front of them, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So thank I you. Think... For... Go ahead. Sorry. Thanks. <laughs> um... One thing that I am doing that I really am hoping to grab some momentum with is I want to hear from other people who have experienced similar things. You know, that I'm not native enough to be native. I'm not white enough to be white. So I'm just kind of this in between. And then, you know, internalizing that exterior, internal racism, the, the lateral violence conversations um, and one of the things that I'm doing is, um, I've started doing demonstrations, working on the 58th call to action, um, outside of churches, they're, they're peaceful demonstrations, but it's an opportunity for people to come together to ask for that participation and support. Um, I'm very careful in how I word things that it's, um, it is a time for, indigenous Inuit and Métis individuals to come together to say, hey, this needs to happen. Mm -hmm. And for our allies to amplify our voice. Um, Like it's not their time to be like, oh, well, I was related to this or not related, but like I'm friends with this person. So it's okay. And it's like, no, right now your job is to say, yes, redirecting, listen to them. Yes. Um, And then also really, really encouraging people who have those similar stories to start sharing them and to hear, not just to hear, to know that you are native enough. Like you, I don't care if you have a status card. I don't care if you are blonde hair and blue eyed, like my daughter. I don't care if you do wear the 
you know, ribbon skirt, like I, it's all beautiful and we're all indigenous and we have an inherent right to that. Yeah. And I, if your great, great grandpa was indigenous, you have a right to that. And, and it's not about jumping on the bandwagon. It's not about, oh, well, it's just, it's a good time to do this. Let me tell you, it is not a good time to be first nations. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It is not. So if you have that internal turning Struggle. and that like, yeah. and you have every right to claim that and to stand in it. And I have been trying to encourage and build up people because as, as I've yes. started to share my story on TikTok, um, I've had people reach out to me and they're like, well, my great, great grandpa was this and it was better for him to just not acknowledge it. And so that's how it trickled down. And we not, we just don't talk about it. Yeah. Or my grandpa and my grandma realized it was better for my dad to be adopted off reserve than to go to a residential school. And I'm like, would you share this? And they're, they're like, well, I don't, I don't have anything to share. I'm like, oh, <laughs> you just no, shared something that do. needs to be shared. Yeah. <laughs> but, but because yeah. And it comes back down to that because it hasn't happened to them. Yeah. They minimize that experience where until I had that opportunity to say, hey, wait, pause, time out. I didn't have those experiences because they were taken from me. That is the same. Yeah. That is the same. Us saying we are not native enough or, you know, I'm only a 16th or I'm only this. Yeah. That is the colonial way. That's yeah. what they want. They want they wanted that to go away. They wanted us to go away. They didn't want my daughter to exist. They didn't want me to exist. They wanted it wiped out. So I said, no, 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 no. You, my sweet friend have every right to this. And so I am in the process of starting my own podcast and YouTube channel. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I want this conversation to keep going and for people to be empowered to claim who they are, to stand strong in it yes. and to start doing the things. Like if you're having one conversation that you wouldn't have had before, I'm proud of you. If you're saying, Hey, I am indigenous. I'm proud of you. Like that is important. And those are small, but they're so significant. Yes. And that, you know what, now that I know you're on TikTok. Uh, we, I'm, I'm telling everybody, I'm, I'm an old, cringy, over 40 mom on TikTok, <laughs> but I'm telling you, you're going to have to follow us now in order for to find out when Amber gets her podcast and YouTube going, what her information is so that we can, you can hear it from her too, because, you know, I get annoyed with myself and, and I want to like not do the podcast sometimes because I'm like, oh, why do I have to say the same thing over and over again? And then I get to meet somebody like you and I get inspired <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yes, thanks. this matters. Our voices matter and we have to keep going and we have to tell our kids that their voices matter and we have to yeah. push this. And, um, you know, so I just, and I hope, you know, like from my point of view, my podcast is literally my healing journey. It's almost like yes. a diary, right? So, and I want that for you. I want that for all of our, our youth too. I want them to see themselves. Yeah. So I'm really happy to hear that you're going to do that. And we'll have to do a duet together so that yes. I can pro <laughs> promote your stuff and, and such. And when, we, when this episode comes out, we'll have to do a duet or I don't know how to even speak TikTok. And then all the youth. Me going, either. Oh, shut up, auntie. <laughs> but we'll figure I, it I out. Don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I asked my 
I asked my friend's daughter, I'm like, how do I go live? Do I get to engage with them? Do I have to go back or is it just gone? Like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I hear you. I'm there with you, but we will figure it out and we will put yes. it out there so that our, um, well, and it's, it's not just youth. I mean, there are people in our demographic. I mean, I'm 44 yes. and I really started the Red Road journey when I had my daughter at the age of 30, because you know, I dealt with a lot of sexism in my 20s, like went to yeah. regular white counseling for um, domestic violence and such. But in, in my 30s and on, it's actually been uh, unpacking racism and unpacking yeah. like and my indigenous identity. I think that's the main issue for our generation right now is our yes. identity and our um, like our youth. Some are committing suicide and we, we can't we have to stop that immediately. We like yeah. not another child, not another person and even our yeah. demographic, like not another person. I, I want to lose that way. I want to. Yeah. You know, so we need to heal this intergenerational trauma and this um, you know, imposed racism by Canada yeah. and be try to figure out how to navigate away from it. I mean, we are obviously, but you know, yeah. that bigger picture of naming it, this is racist. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, thank it's, you. It's that idea of it's so big <laughs> that people it's so big that people instinctually and intrinsically do the things and say the things without even having any comprehension how much they're perpetuating it yes like it's just it 100%. blows my mind and then how we process and it's like oh well now I want I'm going to reclaim this and I'm going to do that and then you don't know where to start like with me I, I don't have family left like I, I have one uncle who isn't able to talk about it I love him and I respect that. Um, but it's hard because I want to ask all the questions. And, and so even for me to try to learn and understand, I I'm so grateful that I have three wonderful women who are so open to answering all my questions, no matter how big or small, like why are ribbons vertical and not horizontal or horizontal and not vertical? Like, why are they this way? And what do the colors mean? And like, they've just been wonderful. And I want I want people to find people like that in their life so they can start to learn. It's a slow process, but it's important. There's, sounds silly, but there's a song in Moana talking about knowing who she is, even though she doesn't know yet. And it makes me cry every time. Even just talking about this silly Disney song makes me tear up because it's exactly right. Like it's, we know who we are. It's in our blood. Even if we don't, no you know what and I tell people when you go into ceremonies and like I um I was raised atheist really um yeah with obviously a lot of Christian leanings because that's our society but um you know I I kept bumping into ghosts and I was like okay Mm -hmm. so there's obviously something bigger than what I understand so now today after talking to elders and having their guidance and speaking to them about my issues like I'll they were the ones who taught me lay tobacco and ask and I'm not kidding all of the coincidences in the world can't (laughs) happen every time you do it so but the bigger picture is this is that sometimes um I get an idea and I'll say it and I'll be like that's not really my idea and I know that's my ancestors talking to me I just yeah like that's the an idea in my head that's not mine is clearly you know something bigger than what I understand and I respect that and I love it and I listen to it now so my to the youth that are like I don't know about this start laying tobacco start smudging yeah. 
reach out to me or Amber or any Cree elder or Denny elder and like the Blackfoot, they have been the ones who have helped, been helpful to this little lost Satu Dene. But, yeah. you know, there are elders that want to help you. So don't hesitate to reach out and we will get yeah. you connected. Um, for the non-natives, please stay in your lane. Holy, yes, you know, like you've stolen our land, you've stolen our culture, you've stolen our language. Can you just like amplify our voices? But for the natives, Jesus, reclaim who you are. I'm so grateful yeah. you've been on my show. Thank you so much, Amber. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Oh, well, I kept looking at the time after you said the time. And I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I, I uh, don't mind having a long podcast because uh, for some people, they get really into it. And if they pause it, they pause it. Big deal, right? It becomes a part yeah. two or for them. Who, who cares? Yeah. So, you know, I'm grateful that you're on. And I hope that anyone listening who really enjoyed this episode will uh, let me know and let us know so I can tell Amber what, uh, what you said as well. And we'll just move forward together and look for us on TikTok, apparently. We'll figure it out. So I'm really proud this podcast has given solutions and included cultural safety training, cultural first aid, and almost all of them to create a safer space for Indigenous people of color, those with disabilities, and LGBTQ2 plus to speak. I want to say thank you to our authors, Cheryl Ward, Chelsea Branch, and Alicia Fritkin of heretohelp.bc.ca. Uh, what is Indigenous cultural safety and why I should care about it? Their work are cultural action tools that have said over a hundred times in my podcast. So please support indigenous work as part of your reconciliation work and under settler understandings. I'm just lucky enough to highlight and repeat it here. Internalized racism and lateral violence is another form of violence indigenous and marginalized, marginalized folks experience by the structure of oppression imposed on these lands. Uh, RacialEquityTools.org by Donna Bevins has a piece of what is internalized racism to unpack that a little more. Do's and don'ts for bystander interventions by American Friends Service Committee. This is what you do when you see a woman in her job being mistreated. I, I've said it over a hundred times in my episode, so I hope people consider listening. If you're in Alberta and you experience racism, you can report it to Act to End Racism or text at 587-506-3838. Indigenous have been talking about our issues, sharing our traumas and reports, commissions, public hearings, and now podcasts, just so it can be regularly disregarded. No more. Honor our words. Honor the treaties. Listen to politicians and their policies and platforms. If they don't recognize the marginalized in their budget with gender equity plus, if they're cutting violence prevention programs and services, indigenous education, uterus health choices, gay straight alliances, lack of human rights for migrants, immigrants, folks with disabilities, know that your vote to that party directly negatively impacts marginalized people. Demand that they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action. The recommendations of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples the multiple reports about child welfare reform and violence prevention. Now we have 231 calls to justice from the National Inquiry on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women, Girls, and Two-Spirit. Denying these reports is a form of abuse called gaslighting. Our people are experiencing racism in the educational justice, health, society, media, institutions with multiple reports that say the same thing. Demand change from election platforms and politicians. They don't understand colonialism, racism, privilege, and sexism. They literally have zero business running. This should be understood by all parties, local politicians, community organizations, sports clubs, etc. 
really great article I shared uh, is Truth Before Truth, how non-Indigenous Canadians become allies. I mean, as of today, there's a lot more of those articles coming out as well. So I hope that people really just Google it because <laughs> it's out there. If you're experiencing emotional distress after hearing anything we talk about and want to talk, there's the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness Helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It is toll free, open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They also have a text option on their uh, website at hopeforwellness.ca. So if it's more related to missing or murdered Indigenous women, girls, and Two-Spirit, for immediate assistance, you can call 844-413-6649. It is toll-free, 24-7 crisis line to support people. For non-Indigenous, there's usually a functioning 211 in your area where you can call 833-456-4566. And the 60 Scoop Indigenous Society of Alberta has a website called SSI sa.ca you can always look for hashtag survivor driven and again if you see racism in alberta uh, act to end racism or text 587-506-3838 uh, the trans lifeline in canada is 877-330-6366 and in the u.s it's 877-565-8860 and i've seen the analytics you're listening in the u.s and i say thank you um, and uh, the Trevor Project has lots of different um, numbers for peer support, LGBTQ in general. They have a text option. And of course, the kids help phone 1-800-668-6868 and lifevoice.ca uh, crisis supports, LGBT crisis supports. Please reach out if you ever need anything. Um, violence is my everyday reality every indigenous generation has faced it that's why i started the podcast to speak freely without interruption without tone police without leadership shaming without gaslighting questions because many people don't want to hear indigenous opinion but sure want to tell us theirs usually by people who know nothing about indigenous colonialism the constant surveillance of our people our protests our vigils and our rights Microaggressions, people dealing with internalized racism, who become the gatekeepers, who survive off the status quo, and people who are so in their trauma, they help people from, or they stop people from doing the work and deplete personal resources. Internal and external racism is an everyday reality for Indigenous people, and that's why I started this podcast as a boundary to be heard. I want to thank my ancestors, my granny, my mom, of what strength looks like through their example of my dad for teaching me to be blunt and strong, my stepmom for showing me what a proud culture is through her Austrian family and roots and stepping up and teaching me to be a proud Calgarian. It is through her, I'm a second generation proud Calgarian. Thank you to my husband Darcy for producing and editing this show. On top of being my husband, childhood friend, father of our child and support down my journey of the red road. He has listened to decades of racism and sexism. And to our child, who we are blessed to learn from daily, we are honored you chose us. You give me daily accountability to be a better and stronger person. And I hope my daughter and my family will be proud in the future, trying to discuss these present day issues in a way that they can understand. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. Thank you to previous donors for already showing your support. If you value listening or watching and you can afford to give, thank you. For those who cannot afford to give, Love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com where you can send in your comments or your questions. I have a YouTube channel that you can go and subscribe at nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcasts and pin posts on social media. 
And I always end with giving a side eye to those rabbits. You're lucky I'm not tradish. And my beautiful cousin responded, or you'd be in my dish. Thank you for <laughs> listening. <laughs>